Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, I want to say Happy New Year because I've not seen many of you since Christmas Day. Uh, so I hope you had a great time. One of the highlights for me over um, just after Christmas was we took my mum for her birthday to the Natural History Museum on the 27th of December. And uh, at the Natural History Museum, they have the Wildlife photograph- uh, Photography Competition of the Year. Has anyone else been to that and seen that? Not this year. It, just fantastic. I've just got one of the pictures. Um, it's not the greatest quality, so I feel I'm really not doing them justice. Um, but this was the photo that absolutely blew my mind when I was there. It was, it's phenomenal. I'm going to leave it up for the whole talk. So if you don't want to listen to me, just enjoy the photo. Um, no, listen to me. Um, but... Um, it, stand, it just stands out. They have this incredible display all around a darkened room of different categories and different pictures. Um, and this is the photo that won um, the kind of wildlife, um, which category it was now, wildlife photographer, I think it was, or uh, animal photography. And it, the guy is in a perspex tube. Um, the perspex tube is attached to a boat. And he literally is an arm's reach from a polar bear. Um, He knows he's an arm's reach from the polar bear because the polar bear hit his lens just after he took this photo. Um, The boat engine was running so they could get away quick enough. I think that makes that photo stand out. It's not just the photo itself, which I think is stunning, the way the water dips and you've got the kind of above water and underwater, but the story behind it makes this photo even more impressive. Wouldn't you agree? And I believe that this passage here that we've just heard read um, a really well-known passage at the start of a, an incredibly well-known section of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying to us, stand out from the crowd. Be different. Be known for being different. Not because you've you know, worn a different piece of clothing or because you have a badge or you have a label, but because you live your life differently. Because the story of your life is different. Just as the story from this photo makes the photo seem even more incredible, let your life tell a different story. Um, I believe that if we put into practice the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and in the reading we've just heard, we will stand out from the crowd. We won't need to do much else. People will notice. You know, this manifesto for discipleship that Jesus kind of presents uh, in Matthew chapter 5, um, chapter 6, and chapter 7, um, people throughout history have put that into practice and changed the world by living a different life and a different kind of life. And I want to offer that challenge to each of us. Will we dare to stand out from the crowd? Will we dare to be different by living the life that Jesus invites us to live? Will our story draw others to him? Well, the context for this passage begins in chapter 4, and in verse 17, Jesus says this. He kind of announces the headline for all of his teaching. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that headline kind of covers all of his teaching. Wherever Jesus went, whatever he spoke on, he spoke about the kingdom of heaven. He taught, and he led, and he preached, and he demonstrated life in the kingdom of heaven. And he did it with a band of disciples with him. Um, Again, just earlier in chapter 4, Matthew tells us that Jesus calls the first disciples. um, He calls uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, all fishermen. And he goes to them and he does two things. And I think these two things um, symbolize what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The first is he invites them to follow him. Come follow me, Jesus says to to the fishermen. 
Come follow me. And all of us are invited into that discipleship relationship. Come follow me, Jesus says, to each one of us. But also, Jesus issues a challenge. It's not enough just to follow him. Jesus isn't just going for a walk. He's not just wanting some friends with him. He's wanting to recruit a group of people who will change the world. So he says, come follow me. That's the invitation. And the challenge is, and I'll make you fishers of people. You think you know how to catch fish. You think you've got your life's direction sorted out. You've got your career. You've got um, you know, your path in life. And Jesus says, well, come follow me. And I'll change you radically, because we need to change this world. And the same is true for us today. We're all called by Jesus. We're invited to follow him and be disciples. And Jesus is looking for us, people like you and me, ordinary people, who are up for changing the world. He promises that he'll take us just as we are, right now, today. We need do nothing else to come to him but come. But he promises that he will change us. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. He has so much more for us than we can imagine. A challenge that we couldn't envisage. Would we be people who will stand out from the crowd and cause others to sit up and take notice? So turning to the passage, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus began his public ministry after John the Baptist had been arrested for challenging the authorities, particularly Herod. Uh, He gathered his team of disciples, you know, uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, um, and there's others that are following him. And he goes around preaching and teaching about the kingdom of heaven and healing the sick and delivering those who are oppressed. And really quickly, the, the whole area is stirred up and crowds come out to find him and to follow him and to hear him. You know, these crowds went wherever he was. Certainly in this early part of his ministry, where Jesus went, there was a crowd. And Jesus himself, later in Matthew's Gospel, describes this crowd as sheep without a shepherd. They're people who are looking for something more. And I don't know about you, but I look around and see many of us, myself included, we look for hope, don't we? We long for hope. I hope 2012 will be an even better year than 2011. For some of us, we're really hoping that 2012 is a better year than 2011. But all of us look for hope. And the crowds were full of people seeking direction. They're full of people longing to be healed, to be set free, to be taught, to be led. And they're looking for a Messiah even, someone who could save them, redeem them, lead them. You know, before I came to faith in Christ, I, I was one of those people who just asked question after question. I kind of believed in God. I wasn't sure. I would guess I would describe myself as an agnostic. But I was longing, above all, for hope. Is there more to life than this? Is there a future that I can give myself to? And I found that in Christ. And you know, we're with people like me all, the, all every day, aren't we? People who are looking for answers to questions. People who are asking that question, whether they ask it out loud or not, is there more to life than this? Maybe it's our husband or our wife, maybe it's our our son or our daughter, our brother or our sister, our work colleague, our neighbour. Asking the question, is there more to life than this? And you know, as we stand out from the crowd, as our story is like Jesus' story, as our life imitates his life, as we put into practice these commands, these attitudes, if you like, we'll stand out at difference. And people will come to us and say, why do you live the way you live? 
Why do you act the way you act? Why do you treat people the way you treat people? And we've got an opportunity to bring hope and to make a difference. And the Sermon on the Mount as a whole is this Christian counterculture, if you like. It, it presents a whole new way of life. Jesus challenges both the kind of legalistic, religious pe- people of the day, the Pharisees particularly. He challenges their way of life. Because for them, you know, the poor in spirit, the meek, the hungry and the thirsty, they weren't really blessed. It was the rich, the successful. You know, they were the ones that were blessed. They were the ones, people who had status, they were the ones who were blessed. Does that sound any different to our culture today? I don't think so. I think today you're, you're, you're blessed if you're successful. You're blessed if you're famous. You're blessed if you're wealthy. You're blessed if you've got power. You're blessed if you can win the battle. But Jesus turns that totally on his head. And I just want to look now in a bit more detail at these Beatitudes, if you like, um, in verses 2 to 10. I'm not going to go through all of them in detail because that would take ten different, eight different talks. But I think just want to give you some headlines from that. And the first is this. The first headline is that the Beatitudes are a proclamation by Jesus that there is wonderful news for the downtrodden. It's that the world might say, you know, you're blessed if you've got success. Jesus says, no, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. You're blessed if you're weeping and mourning and don't want to go on anymore. You're blessed if you've lost any sense of reputation. You're that meek and broken, like the image of a horse who's broken in so you can ride, ride it. If you're like that, you're blessed. You're blessed if you're longing and desperate that your life might change. You're blessed if you show mercy and forgiveness to others who spit in your face. You're blessed if you're a peacemaker, because as we all know, everyone hates the peacemakers. They're in the middle. You're blessed if you're merciful. You're blessed if you're persecuted, if you're alienated, if you're left out. Doesn't that sound like good news? I think it does. Because you don't need to be rich and wealthy or born into the right family or have the right opportunities to be blessed. Because Jesus said, you're blessed if you have a broken heart. The kingdom of heaven is open to people who think, or who maybe the world has rejected. The kingdom of heaven is open to those who are desperate for it. And how we, as followers of Christ, need to extend our arms and say, to those who are broken, you're blessed. Come into the kingdom. You're invited. You're included. You're welcome. This would have turned on its head the people Jesus was speaking to. They wouldn't have been able to understand this or get this. It would have been, it's radical, it's totally transformational. And I think, just as it was then, even more so, it is in our culture. Don't we need this good news? I think we need it, I need it. But so much more that those who have never heard of Christ, who have no idea that there's hope uh, for the future, that there's meaning to life, there are answers to the questions that we have. You know, God sets the lonely in families. God gives forgiveness to the worst of sinners. God accepts us. Jesus invites us. Come, follow me, just as we are. Anyone can come. But he promises he longs to change us. And maybe you feel poor in spirit this morning. Maybe that's how you started 2012. Poor in spirit. Maybe you're grieving and mourning, wishing you could be different. Maybe the mistakes you've made or the things that you've done are weighing you down. Or maybe it's just broken relationships, hard work. You're not sure what the job market has in store for you this year. Financially, things are are difficult. And you feel, if only I'd made the right choices. If only I'd done things better. Maybe then God would accept me. 
let me say, if you feel brokenhearted or down in the dumps, the kingdom of heaven is open for you. And Jesus says today, just as you are, come, follow me. I'll radically realign your life. I've got a great purpose and a hope that we use you to change the world. So please, we want to invite you later on to come. Um, we'd love to pray for you if that's where you're at. The second headline I want to just to say is, is the first one is this, is that the, the Beatitudes kind of Jesus proclaiming wonderful news for the downtrodden. The second is this, is I think the Beatitudes outline the attitudes of a true disciple. I think Jesus is also saying to his followers, because actually he's gone up the mountainside away from the crowds, and the disciples come with him, and he sits down with them, kind of a sense of authority, I've got something important to say, and he tells them, this is what you've got to be. And I think he's challenging them. Don't be like those in the world. Don't be like the religious leaders who put everyone on a pedestal. Don't be like the pagan society, the secular society. Don't be like either of these groups. There's a better way to go, and it's this way. Um, A disciple of Jesus is to be poor in spirit. We're to know that we need God. There's no room for arrogance or pride. We're we're to know that all of us are equal before Jesus. All of us are equal before the cross because all of us need his saving power and love and grace and mercy. All of us, without exception. You know, a disciple of Jesus doesn't need to worry about their own reputation because God loves us, because he loves us, because he loves us. We're his. We're secure in him. We don't need to worry about what the world says about us. We don't need to fear the future because God holds us and our futures in his hands. You know, we're to be people who long, long, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, a right relationship with God and others. We're to be merciful and to forgive those who've wronged us. We're to protect the weak and the vulnerable. We're to reject a kind of half-hearted holiness, if you like. A kind of, well, I'd like to be good, but really that takes too much hard work. And that's for the kind of really special people who really work hard at it or are paid to do it. You know, we're all called to seek purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Why? Because God is pure in heart. We seek reconciliation, and we're to seek reconciliation, even when it's costly. And we're to stand up as followers of Christ, even though others may oppose us. We heard um, this morning about, um, for Dave and Jenny, all that's happening in Pakistan, and what a challenge that is. So how do we grow these attitudes? Is it just kind of something that happens, or is it just for those kind of special people who've read the right books or been on the right courses? Well, no, Jesus is saying, for all of us. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. You're blessed if you mourn. You're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think firstly, to grow these attitudes, we need to recognize our need to change. We need to, the only way to change, Jesus said in his headline, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the word repent means to turn around, to change your minds, to think differently. We need to turn away from our pride and our arrogance and our self-sufficiency and embrace humility, grace, gratitude and a hunger for righteousness. I find in my heart all too often that I think I can sort my life out on my own. I find in my heart all too often that I'm really not that bothered about how I live. Do you find those things? Maybe it's just me. I certainly know that I need to change. And the only way I can change is by throwing myself on the mercy of God. Lord, would you change me? Holy Spirit, would you grow in me the fruit that I so long to see of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. As we, as we pray for those things and ask God for those things, we just live them out. We show mercy and forgiveness. We demonstrate that we're humble. 
by being humble, by being thankful, by being servant-hearted, by doing stuff in secret that no one else knows about. We put these things into practice. It's really simple, but really challenging, and will change us. And as we cooperate with God's Spirit, you know, as we pray and we put into action, these things will grow. These attitudes will grow within us. So to sum up, at the start of 2012, will we all respond to the invitation that Jesus holds out to each one of us? Come, follow me. Just as you are today, will all of us turn to follow Jesus again this year? All of us are welcome. Jesus declared that the blessing of God is for all those who would respond to him, not just the successful, the rich or the powerful, not just those who think they've made it, but for all of us. Come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. How much that message needs to be heard by us and by our world. Come to me, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. This morning, if you've never responded to that invitation from Jesus to follow him, or maybe one day, many years ago, you did, but that's gone, you've, that's drifted off. I'd love to, if you like, what Jesus says this morning, would you like to come, follow me, and I'll change your life. Radically redirect where you're heading. Why not say yes to him again today? And are we willing to stand out from the crowd? Are we willing to let the story of our life demonstrate something different? Are we willing to accept the challenge that Jesus calls us to, to change the world, one life at a time, one action at a time, one day at a time. It's a challenge, it's hard work, but it's the way that we're made to be and to live. You know, one thing to do that, to change, to change our world by being changed by Jesus, we read the Bible together in a year. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it is a challenge, it's a hard thing to do. Um, I find myself this morning reading two days because already in January I've missed one. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday who started on Christmas Eve because they knew they were going to miss some days. For the, I think that's a great tactic myself, but um, I wish I'd thought of that on Christmas Eve. But never mind. But you know, it's a great opportunity to let God's word get into us. To be changed. As a community, we can encourage and, and comfort one another when we're seven days behind and maybe we need to avoid reading the book of Jeremiah or something like that in the summer. I don't know. I shouldn't be saying that. We should all read all of it. But um, let's be real. I think um, we need to, you know, this, it's a great way of getting God's word into us. It's a great way of being changed by him. You know, maybe we need to hold out an invitation to others. Maybe we need to be people who announce wonderful news to those we're with. Maybe we could invite someone to Alpha this term. Maybe we could just walk across the office, walk across the room, and say to someone, you know, I've been a Christian for so many years, and I've never told you about it. Can I buy you a coffee? I'd just love to tell you a little bit about what I believe. Is that okay? It's amazing how many people are like, oh, that would be great. But we're so worried about doing that. I'm so worried about doing that. So this morning, at the start of 2012, Jesus says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You're blessed if you have a broken heart. Why don't you come? Let's stand. Love to pray before we have communion.